Hi everyone, welcome to Steph's audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from Steph's events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. We have another great panel coming your way right now, speaking on the future of fintechs and cashless economies. It is a panel moderated by Riaz Nakri, uh, who is going to be joining us on the stage, alongside Anusha Iqbal, Nara Hassan, and Alaeddin El-Majed. Can I please welcome you all to the stage? Please give them a warm round of applause. Hi, everybody. Hope your day's been uh, good so far. A little hot today, but uh, hopefully we're in for a cool uh, discussion. So uh, I'd like to begin by just asking each of our esteemed panelists to briefly introduce themselves and uh, talk a little bit about what you do. I'll go first. So my name is Aladdin. I am, you may know me from the Disney movie, Aladdin. Uh, I've uh, grown up since then and joined the fintech space. Um, so I am the chief payments officer at HyperPay. For those of you who don't know HyperPay, HyperPay is one of the leading payment gateways in the region. So our job is to help merchants uh, accept payments uh, either internationally, locally, or um, with all the special alternative payment methods in the market. Um, so that's a, a little bit about me, a bit about HyperPay. Thanks, uh, Aladdin. Uh, my name is Anusha. I'm the co-founder of Spotty. Uh, we're a buy now, pay later service provider that currently operating in UAE, Saudi, and Bahrain. Uh, we effectively allow consumers to enhance their spending power at checkout by giving them deferred payment options. Um, and uh, we were recently acquired uh, by a international player called Zipco. So now we actually have a presence in 13 markets. Uh, so that's me in 30 seconds. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Ketrel Neda Hassan. Um, my background is user experience design, so I'm an experienced designer. Um, and for the past four years, I've been working with YAP, which is the first digital banking application to launch here in the UAE. And I'm the head of product experience there. So we launched in the UAE back in September. Um, you can check us out, yap.com, download the app, give it a try, fully digital banking application. And we're expanding now to Pakistan, Ghana, and Saudi Arabia this year. Thank you all for those succinct um, introductions. Um, now, everyone here has heard the expression cash is king. Uh, it's almost a cliche at this point. Um, but I think what our panelists today will make the case for is that this particular emperor has no clothes. Um, now, I think before we get into the what, it's important to look at the why. So I'd like to get all of your opinions on, uh, or responses rather, to this question. Should we strive for a cashless economy in the UAE? And if so, what stands in the way? And uh, let's begin with Nata. So um, definitely, the answer is definitely yes, we should be striving. And I think the UAE is doing uh, an amazing job of being the leader in the region to actually go cashless. Um, and there is four points that why that makes that so important. Number one is convenience for the consumer. And we know that we're living in a country where 
it's all about having a great customer experiences um, everywhere you go. And if we want to actually provide that convenience for the consumer, that's definitely, uh, Castro Society is definitely one of the biggest benefits. And also efficiencies for government as well. So making sure that we're dealing with uh, different ways um, of, of providing government services instantly, but also looking at how Castro Societies helps us go away from a corruption, as an example. So um, there's a lot of efficiencies for governments there. Productivity for businesses is another major benefit. And with uh, obviously being a growing economy with lots of startups and businesses here, Cashless does help provide a lot more productivity. And then fourthly is financial inclusion. So getting people more access into the ecosystem of, um, of financial products and services is um, is extremely important and Cashless helps us take, take it there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think just adding to that, I agree with everything that, that you said, is, you know, it's more than convenience, more than uh, customer journey. We saw this when, uh, with the changes that the pandemic brought. I mean, we all know that uh, with everything shutting down, physical stores, even uh, for a certain period, cash not being accepted with deliveries, uh, people who had not used or had not had the experience of that luxury did so for the first time. I think there's a, there's a poll almost 70% of uh, users were actually doing uh, digital payments for the first time during the pandemic, which is a very high number. But once you went through that process, uh, I think going back is is very difficult. Uh, and so uh, I do agree also with what the panelists, uh, the previous panelists said, which is that you're probably never going to get to a cash zero society. There will always be some form of cash, um, whether it's an older generation using it, whether it is simple to me is, but uh, I think the, the foundations for a cash flow so moving in that direction have definitely been set uh, and all have been accelerated because of the changes that the pandemic brought about. So, I mean, from my perspective, it's more of a regional aspect. So I think uh, the move to cashless is going to be fueled by two things. Obviously, the governments uh, play a big part in terms of the regulation, in terms of financial inclusion, as we said. But there's, there's, a, there's another aspect where there are real-world problems that fintechs have to come in and fix. So there are still, like, if we look at the B2B market today, there's about, like, 90% of the invoices are paid in cash. Uh, not just in the UAE, we're talking, like, on a, on a scale across the region. I mean, I'm talking, like, your supermarket in the street, all of that. If Coca-Cola is delivering today, they're really expecting a cash transaction there. So... What we really need to do is really have the ecosystem in place to go for a cashless approach. It's coming. We're, it's already, we're already going through that transformation, but it's still, we still need more in the ecosystem to help that along. So more fintechs is really also the answer there. Thank you, uh, Ella. Um, and I think the key enabler really for a cashless economy being pushed by, by fintechs is obviously uh, technology. And so... Anusha, what kind of technologies are the um, traditional retailers and businesses uh, adopting and how are these technologies acting as game changers? Well, if I just look at our own business, right, um, we evolved by facilitating, facilitating payments online, which was um, already in a cashless state other than the cash and delivery element um, for this. But as, as a business has grown, we're seeing that demand for our service to buy not pay later has also come in on the offline channels, right? So again, making the enablement of uh, uh, payment methods that were digital, bringing them into the offline world 
is one way that retailers will be able to start moving away from cash because you're effectively giving them those those benefits. Um, but it's I think just picking up what Ala was saying, it's also about the broader ecosystem and the way. So for us, for example, the way we operate. Um, when we're giving deferred payments for somebody, whether it's online or offline, we actually have to rely on quite a number of different elements to feed into that chain, whether it's a KYC check, whether it is understanding the consumer's ability to repay. Uh, and we actually do that by relying on a number of other fintechs that are within the ecosystem. We're not doing it on our own. And I think that's what's been great is that you're getting so many people who are specializing in different things and feeding into that, which then makes it easier for people like us to then offer that cashless. Uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people understand how many people you need to be in the chain to get like a BNPL approach. Like there's KYC, there's ID checks, there's all that. So it really, you have to have that broad ecosystem I was talking about because without that, you can't make a risk assessment on whoever you're taking the payment from. So effectively, when we're looking at any country today, and we're doing a KYC check, we really need to have like an e-identity before actually rolling anything out on an e-KYC approach. So there's a lot of stuff that really needs to come into that ecosystem I was talking about. Yeah, and I think that feeds into uh, what Nando was saying, which is the larger enabling environment that the state has set up, right? They're allowing these businesses to grow and develop. And that's really, I think, what is helping. It's not just retailers. It's, uh, as he was mentioning, even the B2B segment, for example, Facilitating payments anywhere is going to require a lot of people in that chain. And the more players you have, uh, the easier it will be to become more digital. And um, Anusha, I think another key element here, of course, is, um, is trust. Uh, you know, whether that's from a consumer's point of view or from a potential partner's point of view. And um, on that note, um, I'm actually about to try your service for the first time on on Sunday, so I might tap you out for some do it sooner <laughs> some tips. Uh, but what 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 kind of strategies are being used to um, to actually gain the trust of traditional businesses of small businesses um, in order to actually uh, sell them the technologies that they need? It's such a, it's such an important question, and when we were launching our business, that was actually one of the key things at the forefront of of of, of our team. It was how are we going to get people to believe in what we're what we're saying, which is you as a consumer are not going to get charged for the service when they're so used to having paid for credit to begin with, right? How do you build that trust? Uh, it's not easy. It's not overnight, and it's a number of different things: brand awareness. Uh, constant customer engagement. So you have multiple channels now, uh, it's, which makes it easier and difficult in a lot of sense, right? You cannot just be on Facebook anymore. You have to be on Snapchat and Twitter and, and so and so and so forth, right? And um, I think customer engagement, uh, allowing the customer to have a voice and listening to that voice and responding to it is, is very important in building not just your brand, but that trust element. And then ultimately, um, that will resonate across the ecosystem. And I believe Nata had something to add on the No, I'll, I'll just add to that because I think that point is really important. Um, at the end of the day, we're building products and services that can help benefit the consumer. And as a business, if you're not putting your customer at the center of what you do, then, you know, you're not really, you're not going to end up being able to be competitive or survive. So when you are, when you do have these technologies and you are approaching these traditional businesses and trying to get them onboarded to this new, you know, fintech uh, experience or payments experience, 
remind them of the consumer, remind them of the customer and how this actually benefits them. So bringing, bringing that back into the customer journey and the touch points that they go through and the convenience that would be available to them, the technologies that they traditionally wouldn't have access to, being able to embed it with, with new businesses and, and products that can do that for them. Thank you, uh, Anusha Nadja. Um, now, uh, I'd like to apologize to the audience in advance for the term I'm about to use, but uh, certain sections of the media have picked up and blended the terms physical in the context of retail and digital, and, and they've, they've come up with the word fidgetal, and, and I really, really hate that, and I, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> now, uh, Ella, let's move over to you. Um, how can cashless payment technologies actually help to bridge that uh, digital or physical and digital gap, the gap between physical stores and e-commerce platforms to create a uh, new breed of smart retailers? So, you know, although I don't agree with the term, but uh, what they're trying to do here is, is really marry the convenience of an online transaction with the convenience of having a point of sale interaction. And, you know, what, what, is it, what if you do the, if you go to the point of sale today, the checkout process is you, you, someone uh, punches in all, everything on the till and then they present you with a, a point of sale pass for you to, to use one of your preferred payment methods. The real goal is, is that, uh, you know, using all these latest technologies, AR or whatever, is that you can actually start doing your checkout process. And, and we're seeing that with Amazon, um, with their, uh, with their store where you just physically, physically go in, you pick up the items you want and you just walk out and boom, the payments have been done. Now, the, the challenge is how do you actually transition that into a retail environment like, um, Dubai Mall or uh, the Mall of the Emirates. And, and that's where, you know, there's a marriage of all these technologies um, all together. So the AR needs to understand that, you know, someone picked up a dress or, or the AI needs to understand that uh, the dress has been picked up. And as, there, as someone's walking around, that the whole retail system talks to a, uh, either a wallet or it talks to a, a payment method and boom, the payment's been done and you walk out. So this is, this is where retailers, uh, you know, they're gravitating towards. It, it does take a lot of technologies, a lot of, that's where companies like ourselves come in. So what we're doing today is we're targeting really large organizations and going, look, essentially all these technologies where you, you know, we used to offer, where it used to be given to financial institutions, you're gravitating towards financial institutions today in terms of a technology setup. Why not do take the whole stack and start implementing within the organization under one, under one. So if, like a, a huge group like Landmark has multiple brands. It doesn't make sense that each one of them has a segregated system on terms of the payment side. Just set up one group that manages the payment side and push everything under that. And that way, you know, you're going to take advantage of all the latest technologies, obviously. But at the same time, there's multiple efficiencies in terms of like adding new payment methods, BNPL, anything like that. And I assume the guys here have the same uh, approach. They, they, the, 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 um, they would like to bridge the gap also in terms of the physical. Yeah, I mean, and uh, it's not, in my in my mind, that term is literally just following where the consumer is. Today, the consumer is everywhere. It is on the, you, you have to be online. You have to be um, uh, in stores, right? So 
fidgetal is a term, but I think for me, it's just uh, summarizing, again, the consumer journey and making sure that you're where your customer is and today the customer is everywhere. I'll add to that as well with one example that Yap is dealing with, with our expansion to Ghana um, and uh, Ghana country in Africa. So one of the things that's happening there is that we have this digital banking app that we want to take over to Ghana where people are still, the mobile penetration is quite high, but not on smartphones. So how are we going to provide a digital banking product to people who are not using these smartphones? And this is where we take a look at what they're doing day to day and actually looking at how we can design a mobile money experience through, um, you know, just the basic from a basic, you know, one of those old school phones by using the SMS technology. And it's, it's again, rethinking of your offering in different ways that benefit then the consumer that we can have more access, which is extremely important. So accessibility and affordability in the space is one of the main things that we need to be thinking about when we are, if we do, you know, focus that consumer and look at the benefit that we're trying to provide to them through the digital experiences that we're designing. Okay, now, uh, Allah, I'd like to switch over to the extremely thrilling and sexy subject of regulation. Um, uh, now, we've all heard, you know, at the, the prior session to this today, throughout yesterday, whether it was at the main stage or the fintech stage right here, we, we've heard uh, speakers um, extolling the virtues of the cashless economy, and it seems to be moving very fast. However, are you seeing regulators being able to keep pace with the rate of change at the moment? And um, what, what kind of challenges are these regulators actually posing to your work? So what I have to say is, like, from our experience, the regulators have been, you know, uh, up to, they're keeping up pace with what, what's going on in the market. The problem is, is that, you know, regionally, we haven't had the learning experience that Europe has or the U.S. has. I always akin payments, fintech, whatever's happening in the region to how um, like landlines were pushed. You know, they didn't push out any landlines in Africa. They just erected the 3G, 4G uh, antennas and boom, you had all the, because it just didn't make sense. And that's exactly what's happening in the region is our, the consumer, the merchants, uh, even the financial institutions, they want the latest technology. They want the latest offering out there. So, you know, BNPL is really fresh. It's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a, like a new industry, but effectively, it's it's you know we have companies here that are offering it in the market. So the regulators have had to actually keep quickly get up to speed on on the the new fintechs. So all of them, what they've done is they've set up sandboxes to really understand what the technology does, wh uh, how they can regulate and make sure, for example, that they're protecting the consumer, but at the same time, they're not impeding the, the process. So we've seen like here in the UAE, so uh, new laws around uh, retail payments. We've seen uh, in Saudi, uh, SAMA release uh, laws also how to govern uh, if you're issuing cards, if you're uh, basically doing any payments that that are classify as a financial institution. But we're also seeing it like in Egypt now also. So um, like uh, they just announced a new law 
where effectively everything has to be regulated under the FRA there. So there is a, there's a, obviously there's always going to be regulation, but it's really, um, it's not as impeding as we expected it to be, to be honest. The regulators have really done a good job in understanding what the businesses are doing and they've tried to, um, you know, give them as much room as they can within the regulatory environment. And um, Allah, just to follow on from that, uh, what are some widely held misconceptions you actually see in the market with regards to regulators and the role they play? So I think everybody thinks of a regulator of a, as a big brick wall that's going to stop everything. But effectively, um, you know, when you look at it, the, sometimes the, what they're looking to do is really to understand what the product does. That's one thing. And then effectively be able to, you know, t- tell you exactly what you need to do because there are definitely some protection requirements from a consumer perspective, etc. But on the other side, they're also trying to ensure that the, there's a push towards, as we say, ca- a cashless uh, economy and a cashless society. Uh, financial inclusion is now a big player. Open banking is going to be a big player. So what they're trying to do is, is to create a, a very good uh, ecosystem under a regulatory perspective to have that in place. So like most of our business in Saudi is in Saudi. So we've seen like Sama come out with very clear early adoption regulations for open banking and how that's going to be used. Um, we're seeing in uh, the same in, 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 uh, in Egypt also in terms of the regulatory environment. Uh, what they're trying to do is is really there's there's really economic um, microeconomics going on. So what people don't understand in terms of the region is that every country has a has a specific uh, approach to how they're dealing with the regulations. But there's also always a, a secondary market that's going on. So for example, in Egypt, there's a, like a lot of cash being uh, going around in a secondary economy that no one knows about or. Basically, like if someone comes in and does the, a plumbing job for you, you're going to pay them in cash. And a lot of this is just literally not captured. So the regulator is really trying to have fintechs come in and try to plug any of these holes also so they can actually start capturing what's going on and have a reflection on even on the GDP of the country. Because, I mean, there's been a few studies out there, and probably you guys have seen them, that like moving towards the, what COVID-19 has done for cashless and then for some GDP in, uh, in certain economies has been transformed. I mean, like there's been three or 4% uptake in certain GDPs just behind the move towards a cashless setup for certain uh, certain industries. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I've worked with Visa quite extensively as a client and that, that is something which they're always pushing, uh, particularly uh, in the wake of the pandemic, the the shift uh, digitization of payments by small and even micro-sized merchants. You know, as you said, the street vendor, um, the souk marketplace person. Yeah, I mean, in, in Saudi, for example, um, there was uh, one of the the, the, the regulatory uh, requirements that came out was like any, any uh, supermarket had to start accepting, um, they had to accept credit cards and they had to accept digital wallets. And they had actually a cap on how much cash they could actually carry. So like all of a sudden, you had a hockey stick uh, acceptance on the physical. I think like uh, Meda, which is the local scheme, they hit their target within less than a year for for what they wanted to do like in 2023. So the same thing in Egypt. In Egypt, the regulator came out with a program 
where they wanted to push out like 30,000 points of sale in the market. And what they did was they subsidized all that. It's an amazing project. Like no one hears about this stuff because you have to be in the industry. But effectively what they did was is that they went to the banks and said, look, we'll finance like all these points of sale, push them out, give us, send us the, the, uh, the bill. We'll, uh, we'll pay like 80% of it. Um, it's amazing. Like now, like you have uh, this guy who has a, what we call an Arabic kushk, like a small supermarket that sells any, anything in the street. And then he basically can actually do like utility bills. He can accept uh, payments. It's, it's crazy. And that's being powered by simply the QR code payments. Um, actually, it's you can accept everything. On uh, It's basically what they've done is, is they've pushed it out like to Afauri. They've pushed it out like to Aman or all these guys. They're all fintechs in, in Egypt. And what they've done is they're doing payment facilitation. So, you know, effectively, they, they just sign up the merchant and they'll accept, they, they don't have to go back to like a, a, a bank to get all the paperwork done. So effectively, like your average like guy could, could just take out a point of sale machine and you can pay, you can pay there and then. It's 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 crazy, and uh, Anusha. Oh, sorry. Well, I was You're... just going to add to what he was saying is that you know uh, regulators have the unenviable job of facilitating innovation while protecting the structural integrity of the economy, and it's not something easy to do. But our experience with regulators, you said, they're not a brick wall. They're open to communication, and I think it's particularly our experience, which has been in Bahrain, Saudi, and, and UAE. We haven't done much work in Egypt, but it's been. Um, uh, they're extremely open to understanding new ideas and giving the opportunity for new businesses to grow uh, as long as you're engaged with them. So I think that's the key. It's about engagement and they're, they're, they're very reciprocal. It's, it's not a brick wall that you hit. So, I mean, even in Jordan, they just released a law like a year ago uh, to our detriment, but it's good for everyone. Like they basically capped the uh, commissions you can accept. So basically they went like, look, because there was like people paying like three and 4% on credit cards. They were like, we're not going to have any more of this. It's like a maximum you can charge is like two and a half percent. Straight away, they like, people, people know what they to expect on the, on like what their the expenses are for credit cards. Okay. Thank you guys. That's, um, that was quite illuminating. Um, now, Nada, I'm going to ask you a sort of macro question, if you like. Um, what do you see as the future of the fintech industry across the region? And do you believe we're going to have more collaboration or more competition going forward? So I think the future of fintech is a very loaded question because, you know, there's so many different things that can happen with all the different types of businesses and fintechs that are popping up. The one thing that I see um, for the future of fintechs that will actually be succeed in, in this region is those that actually focus on impact and making a difference in the consumer's lives. We're living in an age of the consumer where if, if it works for the consumer, if there's an impact and there's a benefit to what we're doing and providing, then these fintechs will be able to actually make a difference um, and succeed in this region. Otherwise, you're just going to have like we, we can look around us at this conference and all the, you know, all the different startups that are here. There's so much happening and there's so much that we can do in the payment space and the fintech space. Um, but are we doing this to benefit the consumer? Are we doing this to make an impact in the customer? What I see happening 
happening in the future of fintech is the consumer demand for impact in their in their financial well-being will be uh, will will be what will lead um, this space. And that will require, that goes to your second part of your question, that will require collaboration. Because if we have um, digital banks like Yap ourselves um, only focusing on what we offer and not opening up our ecosystem to other fintechs and other players to come in to benefit the consumer, we will not succeed in, in making a difference in the consumer's lives, but we'll also not su succeed as a business. And I think it's a very important note for all fintechs and all businesses in this space to really consider the power of collaboration, um, to open up their ecosystem, to open up their technologies, to link through APIs or other new techs, to, to be able to link all those companies together in order, again, at the end of the day, to benefit you, the consumer, in your financial well-being and understanding and uh, making payments easily and quickly in financial inclusion and, of course, in affordability of these financial products. We don't want to be creating products that users can actually access because, you know, it's it's costing them too much or it's um, it's. They don't. They won't have access to it through specific devices or even in different locations and spaces. So that's that's how I sort of see it, and that's the type of um, mental space that our business thinks about every single day when we're designing these fintech experiences. Thank you uh, for that, Nadja. Um, I believe we have a couple of minutes left, and I thought it might be a nice opportunity to uh, open the floor up to any any questions. Does anyone have a question for our panelists? Uh, speak now or forever hold your silence. Wow, no questions. Your responses were so clear that they leave no room for questioning. Um, okay, I, I have a question, unlike our audience. Um, now, just cashless economies. How... I know this was asked towards the end of the last session as well, but I'd like to have your take on it. How, how far away do all three of you see a truly cashless society uh, emerging? Um, so I, again, I think I, I, I did agree with what the last pan set of panelists said, that we're never going to be cash zero. Uh, there will be some form of cash. But, and I think... Um, everything that's happened in the recent past has accelerated. So if you'd asked me this question, say, three years ago, I'd say, you know, for this region, you're probably looking at 10, 15 years. And, you know, now that's probably been, I would say, the next you know, five, six years, you'd be in a very uh, digital dominant uh, economy as opposed to a cashless economy is what I would say. Okay. Um, Nadja? I, I also think that we're just a few years away from it. If we end up in another pandemic, which inshallah we won't, but if we do, then khalas, it's over. <laughs> no more cash. And, you know, we're seeing that the world, you know, when we think about sort of this, this space, you know, you have to look at what's happening in the full ecosystem, you know, politically, environmentally. And we can see that this is a trajectory that we're moving forward to. So I can't give a date, but definitely this is a society that we're, we're moving forward to. So it's, it's going to happen very soon, I believe, and, and hopefully for the better. And, and I don't think just for the UAE, but when I look at the region, um, I work a lot in Iraq as well. I have a colleague of mine who's here from Iraq and they just uh, launched the first digital bank in Iraq. And if a country like Iraq is also going to move forward with, um, into this sort of, uh, you know, cashless space, then, you know, 
who, what's, what's going to stop it? It's going to happen very soon. Final thoughts, Ella? Yeah, I mean, the guys hit the nail there. Uh, I mean, basically, I'm, I'm, I've been banging about uh, cashless uh, for years. So, I mean, I think we're very on the cusp of it. That's, that's in terms of where we are, uh, just uh, needs a bit of a nudge here or there and another fintech maybe. June of 2026? 20, oh, I, I, hopefully it's earlier because, you know, uh, you know, we're always looking for that hike in transactions to come in. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, um, Ala, Anusha, Nada. Um, can you please give our uh, panelists a round of applause? Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Anagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Step Conference and let's stay in touch.